Welcome to The Creationist, a podcast about people who create. I'm your host, Steve Waxman. When I first met Jeff Tate, he was running his fashion-forward golf apparel company, Quagmire. The business was flying and Jeff was hanging out at the Masters with golf icons Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas, and partying with the likes of Kanye, Jay-Z and John Legend. But then it all came crashing down. You know, we're selling Macy's and we're not making any money. That's not how you do business, right? So the bottom line was the bottom line sucked, um, even though we were selling a few million bucks worth of stuff. and. Uh, Somebody had to pay the price, and we all paid the price. So I, you know, I, I cried, I drank, I, whatever, I did whatever I needed to do to kind of get out of the funk of losing a business because you build it so high that and nothing comes out of it. And you get to a point in business where you think, well, maybe I could sell it. You could sell the name. You could sell the brand. But because of the way it all went down, nobody would relinquish their shares, and nobody would give up kind of what they had and what they thought they deserved so it was just button heads and I just walked away and said okay basically a few guys and uh, good luck and do what you can so like anyone with a good business mind Jeff picked himself up dusted off the disappointment and found a new venture to dive into and this episode is about that journey anyone who knows me knows that I'm an avid golfer I had the good fortune to watch the growth of Jeff's quagmire brand and I remember the early days when he first introduced Triple Bogey as a beer for golfers. Recently, I was on the golf course, and one of my playing partners asked the cart girl specifically for a Triple Bogey. That's when I thought to myself that even though I don't drink, you might like to hear the story of how Jeff went about creating a beer. So I started the company, I guess it's been eight years now. So we uh, once Quagmire fell apart, um, some partnership stuff there with Bobby, who you know, and uh, and then Eric Grundy over at JTEX, and we just kind of everything kind of we all we all walked away from each other. So from there, I decided. I said to my wife, "What am I going to do next?" Um, I love beer. I've always loved beer. I've been known when Quagmire. I, I was known as the beer drinking sales guy kind of thing. And uh, I said, why not try to target a beer directly towards golf? That's what my background's always been. Um, so I had to kind of learn the beer side of things, but, uh, you know, all my buddies laughed at me, man. Everybody said, uh, what are you doing? You're going up against directly against Molson and Labatt because they've kind of had that, uh, monopoly over the beer carts over the years. So, you know, a lot of guys had doubt, even my family had a bit of doubt, but I said, you know what, if we market it right and we, we build the right relationships, we should be able to kind of take a small piece. And we've been able to take a pretty good chunk, to be honest. And it's been fun. Specifically, though, how do you, given all the choices that are in the market, how do you come up with something that is unique, not just brand wise, but I guess in taste as well? I, you know, and given that I'm not a beer drinker, so I'm really Okay. Yeah. Um, well, to be honest with you, we went right for the big boys. So we we decided that golf, 30 degree weather, hot summer day, you're going to drink a lager. And, and lagers are mainstream. There's a lot of lagers out there. We kind of hit the market before all the other craft guys decided that it was cool to make a lager. They, they always thought you got to make it as hoppy as can be. You got to kind of throw whatever ingredients you can in, whether it be watermelon or, you know, chocolate or whatever, where we decided, well, let's go and make a lager. And then, you know, make a beer that people can actually drink and actually enjoy and be thirst quenching on the golf course. So 
it was, it was a no brainer. I, I, all I love is loggers that, you know, we got a light and amber and a, and a regular lager and then uh, a non-alcoholic and, and a couple other things. But we decided again, to go head to head with the Coors Light Canadian um, Budweiser Bud Light. And, and again, everybody laughed at me, but uh, eight years later, we're, we've sold millions of cans. So. Well, how, how did you develop the recipe? Well, it took a while. I mean, it took a couple of months. We just decided, you know, when you're developing a recipe, you kind of take from, you don't take from other people, but you, you kind of test other people's beer and, and other companies' beer. And uh, I literally sat on my front porch and said, I like this, I like that, I kind of like this. How can we tweak this? How can we make this uh, different? Um, how can we give it more flavor? And how can we make it a little more sweeter? So to be honest, like there's no original recipe out there anymore. There's a ton of different things that everybody's just kind of making, uh, throwing throwing into the pot and brewing away. But uh, ours is obviously everybody's beer is original, but it's it's just it's just the tweaks that you make to uh, to make sure that it's the beer that you want. So took a couple of months, and uh, we just did a few brews, and finally landed on one that we loved. So how were you doing the brews? Were you doing them in the house? Were you doing them at one of those brew-it-yourself places? Well, no, I actually started with Great Lakes. So Great Lakes were, were the first. I, I kind of went around and tried to find somebody that would brew for me before I kind of got into the whole, you know, the whole thing myself. Um, went to a few different ones. Uh, landed at Great Lakes, which is here in Toronto. Um, I live in the beaches, so we're not far from there. Met with Peter, the owner of Great Lakes, great guy, and he kind of, spun up a few things for us and did a few different uh different recipes and we landed on the one that we liked so it was right straight to the the full the full brew house to make the the uh the samples and the, the and to find the recipe and uh luckily we had those guys to kind of help us do that so then what was the next step once you had the the beer in the can <laughs> so originally the beer was in a can it was in a silver bullet so it didn't have so then you go the you know, make the graphics, figure out your logos. Our logo is a T and a B. It's a plus three. It's triple bogey. So it kind of, it all went together. Um, we, we kind of really focus on the 19th hole. Uh, yeah, we, we printed, we, I put stickers on the very first cans that we ever shipped out. So I was there in the brewery, just stickering all the cans and, and getting them out there. And that was when we were selling to a few golf courses. Uh, there's no way that we could ever sticker our own cans now when we literally do over a million cans a year. Um, but a uh, million plus. And, but before back then it was, you know, we make a few skids, make a few cans of beer, put a few stickers on and see if it sells. And we threw them in, my, in the back of my car and I delivered them myself. And literally from start to finish, that can was made by me. So how many courses originally did you go to? Uh, I just I kind of leaned on my buddies. Um, as you know, I've been in the golf business for years. So I, I went to St. Thomas Golf Club where I knew the guy there, where I used to work, you know, a few others. And and it was, I'd say we went to about a dozen clubs at the beginning. Um, and they all said, yeah, sure, we'll try it. And not, and not thinking, probably most of them not thinking that it was just going to do any damage to their other business. But uh, after year one, we, we sold about 350K in our first year. And uh, from there, we actually we jumped up to a million bucks worth uh, of beer in year two. So that just shows kind of where we went from, from one year to the next. And, and uh, we've been growing ever since. Was it going to be tri- called triple bogey from the very beginning or did you have any other names that we you were trying hashing out with? 
It was always triple bogey. I, I, you know, I obviously I sat there, sat on my front porch. You go and look to see what's available too, right? So I went yeah. and bought triplebogey.com. I think it cost me a couple thousand bucks to get the the actual address, the web address. I made sure that I could get the trademark. That cost me another ten grand because somebody else already had triple bogey. Um, but it was all about kind of making sure you could put all the pieces together. It wasn't necessarily had to be the name that I landed on, but there was a few other names in the mix. Um, but because of Quagmire, it kind of worked well because Quagmire's, you know, the shit, the uh, marsh, the whatever, and that was our clothing back then. And Triple Bogey's obviously not a great score, but it's uh, a beer for the golfers and a beer for everyone. So, what were your what were your initial um, marketing ploys to get the beer in people's hands once they were at the golf course? Mainly samplings. I mean, you just you got to go out and grind, right? So, you know, these guys that, that have started companies today, they think that they're just going to slap a label on a beer can and it's going to work for them and everybody's just going to clean off the shelves at the LCBO and, and they're going to buy it everywhere. Um, for us, that's not how it works and it's not how it works for anybody, to be honest. So it was me and my wife, Megan. Um, so say said St. Thomas Golf Club wanted us to come down to do a member guest or, or uh, you know, a men's night. We would bring our little bar, our little fold-out bar, and I'd be standing there pouring samples. And uh, everybody's like, you're the owner? Yep. And I said, yeah. And I did that for years. I did it for probably four or five years. I, I was always out sampling myself and doing all the events and kind of grinding up until I kind of had kids, to be honest. And I had to get off the road a little bit because I was on the road every single day, every single night. And um, it took a lot of hard work and a lot of miles to, to, to do that. So that was the, our main thing. And then we sponsored men's nights, men's leagues. We've spent a ton of money on prizes. Um, you know, we just do things that kind of come from the heart rather than the corporates do with just throwing money at things or whatever. And we, you know, we make golf related prizes. We make all kinds of fun stuff and uh, people seem to love it. And if we're sponsoring their league, they're spot, they're more apt to drink our beer. So did you did you ever think at the beginning it's like you know why should i be making a beer there's so many beers out there does the world need another beer yeah my buddies always said that to be honest i think i told you at, at the beginning my i remember i, I sat with chris tamas and tyler keenan two of my good buddies and and they laughed at me i went to the can and to take a leak and they came back and they just shook their head they're just like really man this is what you're doing i'm just like yeah i'm doing it i said what other option do i have i'm i'm uh, you know i didn't want to get back in the clothing business right away i was kind of devastated by that and uh but people did say why are you getting into the the busiest you know most competitive market in 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 the world really we went from clothing to beer there's not too many markets that are, are that competitive so <laughs> we we did it we're doing it so uh, for sure. Well, look, at you've had a long history with golf and a long history of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. <laughs> can, you, can you look at can you, you know, take my listeners or listener uh, through the journey that you've been on to get to this point? Where yeah. were you? Where were you born? What your parents do and what took what brought you into golf and then the businesses associated with that afterwards? Sure. Hope we got time for this. Um, so the tape is rolling. <laughs> grew up in St. Thomas, St. Thomas, uh, Ontario, the south side of it. Uh, my parents, my mom was a teacher. My dad was, he worked for the government, for the unemployment uh, side of the government. And uh, we just lived a nice, simple life, to be honest. We had, had never wanted for, for anything, but always had what we needed. And uh, 
Hi, my, my parents remember at St. Thomas Golf Club back in the day. They got me golfing when I was about six. Um, so I loved it. I, you know, it was something to do. I would go there, play 36, and, and eat hot dogs and drink milkshakes. And my mom would pick me up after, right? So then I worked there for years. I worked there since I was 12 years old up until kind of 20, I guess I was 20. I uh, worked there, and I also worked at Redtail under Greg Gladstone, who's a good buddy of mine as well. And uh, he's always been a great supporter. What, what were you sorry? What were you doing at the golf courses? Uh, at the beginning, I was in the back shop picking the reins, doing all that stuff. Then I'd be in the, I was in the pro shop once I kind of hit the age. I think it was sixteen. And then at Redtail, I was doing much of the same. I was caddying. I was picking the range. I was doing whatever Greg needed me to because it was Redtail, right? So right. it was a, a pretty cool place to be around with all those celebrities. That was back in the day when it was Sean Connery and those guys all coming in to, to golf at Redtail. And, right. and I hear they're going to make it the same again. So we'll see what happens. But now that it's sold. Um, from there, I went to golf management program at Humber. Um, then I went over to Australia, went to university there, got business degree, started my first business. I started a pant company, sold them in the markets uh, in a few shops there just to kind of learn how to run my own business. Well, hang on a second. Why did you go to Australia? For school. I went to university, just wanted to get out of here and see what else was out there in the world. So I kind of Traded my golf clubs for a surfboard and lived right on Bondi Beach and went to school and it was fantastic. And like I said there, I was the beach pant guy, which was cool. And I got lots of stories, but I can't tell you all those. because. Okay, well, okay, okay. <laughs> what does that mean being the beach pant guy? <laughs> this means that uh, it was cool, man. There was like the Bondi Beach market. There was a bunch of stuff down there that it was and it was all transient people right it was all travelers it was all whatever and when we'd be at the bar after all these people would be like oh there's the beach pant guy so i was selling i was manufacturing and selling beach pants there was like oh okay modrobs modrobes back in the day yeah um so they were just casual pants you could wear to the beach and uh yeah it was a good little run it got me a few free beers and uh we had some fun so uh, from there, I came back home, uh, took uh, some rich kids on a, a golf trip, a golf tour um, down in Florida. And uh, in between that, actually, I worked on the cruise ships. So I was a golf teacher. I taught golf on the cruise ships and uh, lived in Venezuela as well as a, as a university um I guess I was teaching kids how to act in, in the U.S. kind of thing. It was more of a social studies kind of class or whatever. So then... Golf trip, took kids around, uh, TPC Stadium, Bay Hill, all these great golf courses. Met Bobby Pasternak, uh, who was my first real partner in crime and in business. And uh, we, I told him about my idea about Quagmire. Quagmire Golf was our new funky golf clothing line, um, kind of before its time. And now everybody's got young, funky golf clothes. We were kind of one of the first. Um, that was 2005, I think. Well, can you can you talk talk a little bit about Quagmire and, and what the concept behind it was and how it actually started? So I was young, funky golf. I, again, I started. I used to make hats when I was in high school, and me and my buddy Dan Axford would sew them, watching Baywatch uh, on our at our kitchen table kind of thing, and uh, we'd make hats, sell them in our our lockers at school. Um, so I always wanted to have a, a golf clothing line, and and. Uh, you know, I came up with the name Quagmire, had all the concepts behind it, figured I needed a business partner to kind of help me launch it money-wise and, and whatever. Started with 10 grand in our pockets. Um, Bob had some pretty cool 
connections. Um, his brother was a fitness trainer in LA, Halle Berry, Kanye West, um, Jessica Simpson, all these guys. So thought we might be able to utilize that. And we did, we did a little bit. Um, so yeah, I just, I found a uh, lady named Barb. She, uh, was down at Ossington in Queen. I went to her. I said, I want to do this golf clothing line. Can you help me design it? So she helped me. It was called Terracotta Designs. Um, and she just kind of, her and I put together the first Quagmire line, a few pieces. Uh, but it was young, funky, fresh. It, was, it wasn't your typical polo or your, your dad's khakis. And uh, it was cool. It actually fit properly. It was, you know, fitted stuff that people could actually wear. And not feel like they just came off the golf course with a big uh, umbrella shirt on or whatever. So we did that. We ran with it for many, many years. We partnered with a company called the JTEX Group, who's a huge distribution company. Um, got a, an IMG deal with Arnold Palmer through it. I got a call from Arnold Palmer's people, um, a guy named Jim Nish. He said, would you be interested in coming down and meeting Arnold and the family? Uh, we'd like to make... Uh, Arnold's brands a lot fresher and cooler. So I did that, went down to TPC Stadium, met with those guys, and we had a, a great partnership with him. I got a license deal. Uh, it was awesome. We're selling JCPenney, Macy's, Nordstrom's, all kinds of cool places down in the US, uh, all manufactured in China at that time. A lot of the stuff before was made in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I went to the Masters with Arnold. We went to all kinds of different cool stuff. It was a, it was a dream come true that I was going to every party that Arnold Palmer was going to, I was invited to and uh, sat with him and Jack at uh, Jack Nicholas at the masters when the 2012 uh, part three contest got rained out cause he was playing in it. So we sat there and drank vodka and I listened to his stories for hours and hours and hours. It was incredible. So, nice. so a lot of that, I mean, you know, we had, we had a good run in business, but we also had a good run in life and, and, you know, we, we, we also met uh, with some pretty big stars. You've been in the music business. I, I got a great story about uh, Kanye West wanted us to help him with his stuff as well um, back in the day. And so he, Bob's brother knew him. So Bob set it up. So we went down to New York, met Kanye a few times on a couple of different occasions and kind of sat with him. He wanted to have some flagship stores down in New York and Miami. He wanted us to do the designs and all that stuff, partially because of the Arnold Palmer thing, partially because of Bob's brother. Um, thought it might be a good fit. Never really amounted to anything, only because he we needed to have a couple million bucks to throw down and he wasn't willing to put his money in. Um, but we partied with him. We partied like crazy. We uh, one, one day he was, he was in the Mercer Hotel in New York and he said, come on up for a meeting. So we his manager came up down to get us and we went up for a meeting and John Legend was sitting beside me on the couch and, and uh, Kid Cuddy walked through the door smoking a joint and uh, and Kanye was there doing, he was taping his ham um, album at the time and then uh, guy walks in the door and he says, hey man, I said, hey, he goes, hey, I'm Jay. I said, yeah, I know who you are. It was Jay-Z. So I'm sitting in a room with Kanye, Jay-Z, John Legend and Kid Cuddy and drinking and doing whatever we needed to be doing. It was incredible. So, so all of this, I guess, short story, long story, whatever it is, it's, it's the clothing, the beer, everything's amounted to such great memories and such great things in my life that uh, it's more, even more valuable than money, even though you need money to live. Right. How much can you talk about, or what are you, can you say about how Quagmire 
ended. I mean, it sounded like you guys were on a roll, like things were going to really happen. Yeah. And then you were in the beer business. Devastating, man. You know, Bob and I were both making probably about a hundred something grand a year. We were driving BMWs and Lexus and whatever. We were, it was good. We had, I had a JCPenney um, PO sitting on my desk for 750 grand that I had to walk away from. So what happened was one partner didn't agree with another partner, uh, wanted the other partner out of the business. Uh, I won't get into names or details on that, but basically the guy with the money said, if this guy's part of it, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to walk away. We're going to shut this thing down or whatever type of thing. It was, it was sad because, but it was just some bad business decisions that were being made. And, uh, you know, we're selling Macy's and we're not making any money. That's not how you do business. Right. So the bottom line was the bottom line sucked. Um, even though we were selling a few million bucks worth of stuff and, uh, Somebody had to pay the price and we all paid the price. So I, you know, I, I cried, I drank, I, whatever, I did whatever I needed to do to kind of get out of the funk of losing a business because you build it so high that, and nothing comes out of it. And you get to a point in business where you think, well, maybe I could sell it. You could sell the name, you could sell the brand, but because of the way it all went down, nobody would relinquish their shares and nobody would give up kind of what, they had and what they thought they deserved. So it was just button heads. And I just walked away and said, okay, basically a few guys and uh, good luck and do what you can. So I'll say that we all are kind of friends, you know, one, one guy's more than others. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's the best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest, I'm having so much more fun doing this than, than I was making shirts and hats and whatever. I'm going to eventually add that into the triple bogey line on the trademark might as well. Um, so you'll, you'll see some pretty cool clothing coming out of this pretty soon, but I wanted to get my foot on the, on the gas with the beer first. So, well, that's exciting because I have to say the, the, uh, shorts that I got from you guys years ago are still in rotation after all these years. I love, I I love, (laughs) I absolutely love them. Um, so how long was it between the end of Quagmire and the light bulb that turned into triple bogey? One year. So I, I, you know, I had to pay the bills still. My wife was working. She was working at BBC. She worked for BBC Media. Um, but I couldn't, uh, we couldn't survive in Toronto on our, on one salary. So I actually went and taught over at uh, Durham College. I taught marketing mm-hmm. at Durham College to both the general business class and the, uh, the golf management guys at Durham in Oshawa. And I love that. It was great. In the meantime, I was kind of building this plan behind the scenes. You know, I wasn't as heavy duty as I, as I thought it was going to be for school wise, but so I actually uh, kind of put the plan together. It took me about a year from start to first brew. And uh, yeah, like I said, eight years later, we're, we're selling millions of cans and lots of draft. It's all good. I've always admired how clever you are of a marketer. Do you have a particular philosophy as a marketer? Uh, thank you. I appreciate that, but I don't think so. I, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. I just know that being genuine and being real and, and marketing towards people is, uh, and, to, and to kind of, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I, I, I think it's just the genuine, genuity or whatever it is. <laughs> I can't say that word, but I think it's just the grassroots of it. Um, you know, show a picture of my baby and then show a picture of uh, the beer can kind of thing. And people can actually relate to that because they're living that life as well. It's not, it's not glamorous. It's not, uh, 
me out partying every night because I own a beer company and getting wasted every day. It's, hey, I'm still bouncing my kid to put her to sleep kind of thing. And, uh, you know, having to walk my kid up to school and things like that. And I think that that's kind of what's missing. You know, there's a lot of beer companies that hire agencies and they they just take a picture of the can that they're selling but they take it in different settings and, and nobody gives a shit about that. You know, you've seen the can once. Why do you, why do you care if it's on the table here or if it's on a whatever over there? Exactly, yeah. You know, put some, put some fun into it, put some re- a real life experience into it. Uh, and I love getting the people that are selling our beer and back in the day selling our clothing involved as well taking pictures of the beer cart girls, doing all that stuff. And they get so excited that they get to be part of the triple bogey Instagram or whatever. Right. It, it, it's just, it makes them feel like they're attached to the brand and it makes them want to sell the brand more. So, and I'm genuinely excited. Our, our customers are not just customers. They're our friends as well. And I think that goes a long way. Do you, do you keep in your mind um, a picture of your customer when you are creating these things? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I don't even know what our demographic is these days because I thought it was just kind of be like the 20 to 40 year old. It was going to be young and hip and cool. But to, to be honest with you, I get so many emails. I love your amber beer. Where can I get it? I'm, you know, 65 or 80 years old or whatever. And that's cool with me too. Golf is golf. And I think it's easy to kind of, not easy, but it's easier to market towards one thing rather than trying to be in general the beer of everybody it's i get to now be the beer of golf and that's what people call us and that's what uh, we're excited about um but i think that that's kind of i think about golfers what what a golfer want to do what what are the boys doing on boys weekend what are the you know the ladies doing on ladies night drinking our canned wine or all our beer or whatever and marketing towards them so uh, are you exclusively in golf courses or are you on the shelves as well no, we're in the LCBO, we're in the grocery stores, we're in Loblaws, Sobeys, uh, Fortino's, Zayers. Um, it's kind of trickled over to that. So at the beginning, we were in golf courses, and I didn't go to the LCBO on purpose. I wanted to make sure that we build a bit of a following before we went to the LCBO, uh, only because it would be sitting and collecting dust on the shelves. And that's what people think. Oh, I'll build a beer, and then I'll put it on the LCBO shelves, and then everybody's got to buy it. Well, that's not how it works. And there is such great competition, and it is... Uh, you know, a crazy world out there of now the seltzer world and the beer world and all this stuff, vodka sodas and whatever. Everybody thinks it's just fun and easy to do that. But uh, it's you got to build a brand first. And so we're in a few hundred LCBOs, a few hundred. But we usually put put it in the LCBOs to say we sell at Brendan Parsons at Listowel Golf Club. Then he, you know, the guys that, that are drinking there are asking where they can get it. Let's put it in the LCBO and list the wall, right? So it, it's uh, it's kind of a strategic thing where we make sure that it's beer is going to sell and we can continue on the shelves at the LCBO. And we're in a few bars. Bars are big. A lot of bar owners love golf. They always have their own little golf tournaments and all that stuff. Haven't really put our focus on that because it is a very, very busy place when everybody where else is everybody else going they're going to the bars right they're, they're trying to sell to these bars and get on one of the six taps or eight taps or 12 taps but uh we found ourselves a nice little niche business that uh it's not as competitive as people thought and uh, we're selling a lot of goods so are you right across canada alberta manitoba saskatchewan ontario for the time being and then okay. a little, little bit of us Oh, okay. So the, so it is down there as well a little bit. 
got the trademark. I got, I'm working on a few things in Florida. I had to sell a few beers down there to get the trademark. So I own the, the name Triple Bogey in, in the States as well. So I paid a good chunk of money to get that. But uh, I, I have it. I, I, you know, you need it to kind of have a universal brand or, or a, you know, North American wide brand or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Or, but Ontario's our biggest. Alberta's probably number two, Manitoba, and then a little bit of Saskatchewan. But there's lots more. We're BC's next, and uh, we'll get back out to the East Coast. Cool. So what about expanding the line? I mean, obviously, when I reached out to you, I asked for some iced tea. But what, do, you have, do you have plans for expanding the line beyond what you have now? How many? You've got, what, five items now? Yeah, I got a uh, regular, so a premium lager, which is our, our flagship. I got uh, the light. I got an amber. I got this. I'm drinking this because it's 3.30 in the afternoon. Non-alcoholic. It's a uh, mm-hmm. bogey non-alc. It's 0.05. Tastes just like a beer. You should see all the people that email us and go, wow, your, your beers are our favorite non-alcoholic beer because it actually tastes like a beer and doesn't taste like a watered down whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a seltzer, a lime seltzer, and then I have a uh, canned wine. Um, but the next step is, will be, is vodka something, it'll be gin something, it'll be something like that. Um, but I just, I mean, we're selling so much of the green can right now. I, I don't want to take my finger off the pulse and I don't want to get too wide and too spread, but, uh, my wife drinks vodka sodas. Our good friends are the good folks at Socialite. So we do a few trades here and there. Um, so I'd rather instead of buying her vodka sodas, I'd rather make them ourselves, right? So we'll get there. <laughs> All right. Well, in the meantime, I'll drink other people's Arnold Palmer's and wait for yours to show up eventually. <laughs> Fair enough. If you want to find out more about Triple Bogey and their products, head over to triplebogey.com. In addition to information about their drinks, you'll find a listing of all the locations that they are being sold. I'm told on good authority that the taste is great. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creationist. If you haven't already, please subscribe and new episodes will be delivered to you as soon as they go live. You can also follow The Creationist podcast on Facebook and Instagram. The Creationist is mastered in post-production by Paul Ferrand. I'm Steve Waxman, and I created this podcast. (laughs) 